podcast one production. Hello, my name's Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home, where we explore the unknown stories behind the food that we all love. Mr. Manu Fidel, what can I say about this man? We've known each other for about 15 years or more now. And we actually started our careers almost at the same time. Okay, that's a lie. I'm older than Manu. But in a way, Manu and I have grown up together. He grew up in the north of France. I grew up in the south of England. And actually, as the crow flies, we're probably only about 25 kilometres away from each other. Quite funny that when you think about it. We find ourselves in Australia together enjoying much of the same career. We've had some big discussions over the years, but in this this chat, I found out some fascinating and hilarious things that I never knew about him, which I think you'll find very interesting and a little bit revealing too. We laughed a lot, we cried a little, and I got to know this man, this gorgeous man, in a way I never had before. Enjoy. Do you remember your first experience of food? I don't know if I remember my first experience, but there's there's a couple of things that I remember. Like for example, uh, mum used to cook steaks in a frying pan, and what we do in France is a little bit of oil and, and butter. Mum used to wait for the butter to turn brown before she put the steak in, um, and then cook the steak. And the frying pan would go on the middle of the table, and then we would help each other to my sister and my mum to the steak on the plate. And my sister and I, we used to fight with the bread to go and, and mop <laughs> the bottom of the frying pan that burnt butter. That's, that's kind of, those are uh, flavors that I remember as a kid. I, I've always loved food. I, I never thought I was going to be a chef for, until, until it happens, but I've always loved food. So there's little moments that you look back like that yeah. and go, oh, probably that's where it, it sowed the seed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, funny enough, um, my mom's dad was a chef, and my dad was a chef, not a very good one, but he was. And, uh, and my, my mom's grandpa was a pastry chef. Like the old school kind of, all the windows at any time, Christmas and, and so on, was all pulled sugar, like everything was edible in there. So the, the, funnily enough, even though that I didn't think of being a chef after a, a while in, in my life, uh, food was always in, in my home. So when you th- when you think about those moments, are there others that you go, oh, I remember that too, or I remember that? You know, was it a, a cheeky crunch of that pulled sugar, or was it, um, you know, an apple pie? Or um, listen, we we used to uh, travel to see uh, the rest of my family, which are about an hour and a half, and a half away from where we live. Um, uh, my uncle is a, a charcutier by trade, uh, so you know foie gras was every every single Christmas without a fail. You know we used to get a kilo block that he used to make. He he had gold medal of making foie gras and black pudding and Rio uh, uh, Rio are like um, a cured then uh, cook in a bouillon a piece of uh, of pork belly like square and it's a very um, old tradition of uh, Angers where I come from, where I come from in, in general and um, all those smells I, I, I used to work with 
my uncle when I was about 12, 13 years old, just during the holidays, just doing the teal at the front. But I used to wake, being waked up in the morning by the smell of those things cooking going up in the bedroom. And I used to go wake up and go, oh, yeah, it's time. And it was only about 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning. But they had been working since 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. So they had breakfast with all the pâtés and the rillettes and stuff. like. That. I used to sit down there and have that. Yeah, the food was always, always yummy. I am starving now. <laughs> like I've just, I had a moment there where I thought, gee, that would be very trendy now. You wake up to the smell of bone broth, Pete Evans would be absolutely yeah, thrilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah wouldn't that's he? right. Wake up to the smell of, <laughs> Indeed. Of, of bone broth cooking. I love it. So, so exactly where in France are you from? So you. So I'm born in Angers, which is the Anjou um, part of France, which is, um, I suppose, a little bit more inland from Brittany. So yep. it's out, so outside. north of France. Yeah, north of France. Down. Yeah, 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 that's right. And what's it famous for? What's uh, uh, they, they've got a bit of wine there, the Anjou wine. Um, what it's famous, I'm not too sure to be honest with is you. Is it butter? Is it cheese? No, no, is butter it, uh... is cheese is more north where I come from, so Brittany and Normandy. Um, but Anjou, yeah, this part of France, it, it's kind of, I mean, every little town or village are famous for one thing in all of France. Uh, but Anjou in particular, I think. They've got a different type of charcuterie, I suppose. They've got, a, as I said, wine is, is a bit different. They've got that sparkling wine, which Crème de Loire. So because it's on the Loire uh, River, there's there's all its uh, carp and all these river fish that we can eat there as well. So yeah, Verblanc, Verblanc is not far from there. Well, that's enough, isn't it? I mean, gee, gee, I mean, if you went to your average Australian town and asked the same thing, we'd all be going, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, Brian might be the most famous thing in a small town in Australia. <laughs> so, so you, did you set? So you said you didn't set out to be a, a chef when you were at school. What kind of schoolboy were you? I was a, I was a before clown. before you were ten and after you were ten. I was a clown. I was, I was non interested. Uh, whatever came out of teacher's mouth was a blur to me. Uh, I I was very little interested about any kind of subject, to be honest with you. Uh, I was terrible at French, um, math, okay. Um, history, pff, I didn't give a damn. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm here. I, I, was, I was at the back of the class, on the left corner, near the heater, pretty much. Um, and... And my, all my friends used to always turn around to me to wait for me to do something funny. Right. Like, you know, they would poke me and say, come on, man, you do it. <laughs> and I went, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> for example, can you remember Well, you anything? know, like, you know, you had the felt pen, like, you know, like, we had sort of um, science uh, class, you know, they had the, the long white jacket and back of the teacher, you know, like... The, so a black felt pen. Yeah, yeah. Or throwing jacket. balls of papers and, you know, making noise. Like, you know, <laughs> really would turn, the teacher would turn around and say, who did this? You, so you didn't do anything. Did you cross the line? Did you ever, I don't know, tiny, tiny body to a tree or, uh, you <laughs> I, know? I, I was not a bad kid. I was just I was just a clown. I was just not interested. So I never and where, did... Where do you, and where do you think that came from? Where did the... I think maybe... Uh, um, I know my um, my 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 parents were divorced since I was uh, four years old, and and even in that first four years of my life, I didn't see my dad much. He was he was a bit of a black leather jacket type of man. I used to you know it's, he's got seventeen sisters and brothers, and 
you know, it was a wild family and that, that was one of that wild men. And maybe not having him around was probably the reason why I was a bit wild. So do you remember the school report? What did it say? Oh, uh, I could do better. <laughs> um, you know, I was mediocre, but the teacher used to tell my mum that I would I would be capable of doing him so much better if I was listening. Why why didn't why do you think? I mean now, you know, as you're older, do you think you had a short attention span or yeah. you used is that what it was? Yeah. You, and uh, no did not one teacher manage to kind of No, I was dreaming, man. I was I was I was always my my mind was always somewhere else. The, the word <laughs> clown comes comes to my mind all the time. And funnily enough, uh you know, it, I was turning 13 and it was time to think about the future as, as an adult, I suppose. And and um, I was always watching stand-up comedy. I was, uh, I, there's some artists, French artists that I always watched, uh, Michel Leb and Coluche and all those guys that I I was in awe of. Um, and and I remember my mom taking me to the circus for my birthday and stuff like that. And, and she was doing this uh, every year because she knew I loved it. And one day I said to mom, I want to be in a circus. You know, that was it. That, I wanted to be an entertainer. I wanted to make people laugh. And I wanted to be happy. And, and then, and then mom went, well, yeah, all right. Let's, uh, everybody laughed at it. You know, like it, it was a, a strange request, but mom said, okay, let's, let's search for that. And funny enough, there was a, a small uh, amateur little uh, circus school that just arrived in town at the time. And I used to... Destiny. So school was, we had Wednesday afternoon off and Saturday and Sunday off. And I used to spend those two and a half days there every single week for three years. What did your mates say? What did your friends say? Do you remember? Um, like, did they think it was an obvious thing or did they... Yeah, probably. I think I, I don't... I think... I think I was just didn't spend much time with my friends anymore because that's where I was. So what were you doing? Um, what were you doing on the weekend? So I did uh, <coughs> uh, unicycling is things that I've done, juggling, uh, clowning, um, and you know, feeding the small animal troop that was there, which was ponies and dogs and cats and you know, and goats and, and stuff like that. But I I just loved that time, especially on the weekend because I used to sleep in the caravans and stuff. So I. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to be part of this, to be honest with you. So going from school where you were completely disinterested... That's it. ...to doing this, you were in heaven. Yeah, that's right. So why why didn't you follow, um, the, so follow the career in the circus? When did this... The, so it started at 13, when did it stop? Just just about 15, I think. Yeah, because I basically... my The director of the amateur circus school said to me, there's a Canadian school, or circus school from Canada, who's... Um, uh, basically a 15 space every single year to get people to, to join in and then become circus performers. And they came to Rennes. Rennes is a, a city that's two hours away from Nantes, where I used to live. And he said, out of all the students that I've got in my class, you're the only one who seems to be want to do that for real. Should I put your name down? And I, I said, why not? You know, I was, I was 15 years old. I'm feeling goosebumps. <laughs> 15 years old. And we traveled to Rennes and I walked into this huge um, warehouse with all the different um, um, circus equipment and stuff. And it was 300 of us in there. And I was the youngest. I was 15. And people were like 40, 45. Three, and there was 15 spots. <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> like, I knew already. But I did, I did what I had to do. 
But I received a letter a few weeks later saying, thank you very much for applying, but, you know, I think you need a little bit more experience that I see you next year kind of thing. And that's when, that's when that stopped. That's when that stopped. That's when mom said, I don't know what we're going to do with you. You crap at school. Sick of school, it's another year from now, which... How are you going to get to that to, you know, is it going to get one year? Is it going to take two years? Is it going to take three years? It's like, and she said, you know, why don't you go and work with your dad for a year? And I've never spent really enough time with my dad in that 15 years anyway. So I thought, well, why not? You know, so I packed my bag and went to work with dad for a year. And to be honest, that's another chapter of my life. First day in the kitchen, that was it. Why and I may be distracting you, but why did you get goosebumps? Why did you get a bit emotional then when you talked about that moment? Uh, because you just took me back there. <laughs> you took me back there. And it, it, it's funny in life, you've got some memories that you that are really anchored in your head and some that you completely forget. And you might even talk about things that we've done together that I forgot about. But think- Del- Deliberately. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, yeah, that's that was because they... they they're chapters. They're chapters of your life where you, they, they're there forever. They're, they're tattooed in your brain, you know? So so when your mum said that, were you fairly flippant about it? When you said, oh, okay, you know, like you did now, you've packaged it up and said, okay, now I'm going to go and work for dad. Or did you, you remember sitting in your bedroom just going, well, you know, that's I was, not what I want to do. And I was upset. I was upset that um, I didn't know if, I, I didn't give up the idea of becoming a, a circus performer, but... I knew that I had to do something in the meantime. And so I thought, I'll go and work with Dan and, you know, we'll see what happened, kind of thing. But the circus was in my head for, for years. I've always thought I'd go back to it. It's interesting. So, Dad, first day in the kitchen, you thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah, my first day in the kitchen, I just loved it. What, I do, just, you, what do you remember about I, it? My, so, uh, my dad had a... a um, a restaurant where it's placed in a, a, in a corner of Saint-Nazaire. Saint-Nazaire is known for the shipyard where they build those big ship that travels around the world, like, you know, like those the luxury yep. big liners. And so there's 5,000 people going in into that, to that shipyard every day and come out at lunchtime and come out after work. So it's, it's like, it's not a canteen, but it's, it's a really fast pace kind of restaurant because they all turn up, they all sit down at the same time, they all put the plates down, they eat, they drink the glass of wine and go back to work. So, I love the fact that in France you have a glass of wine and yeah, go yeah. back and operate heavy machinery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, I'll t- I tell you what, I used to do breakfast, 6.30 in the morning, and you used to have a couple of guys who turn up, shaking, asking for the glass of, of white wine and... <laughs> drink it and then stop shaking and go to work. <laughs> I mean, every day. I mean, I worked there. I worked there for a year and I, I worked there five days a week, uh, 6.30 in the morning to 1 o'clock the next. I was I, I was full of energy. I, I loved it. So we started breakfast, which breakfast in France is just a coffee or a glass of wine. Okay, <laughs> Maybe a croissant if you're lucky. <laughs> a bit of flaky yeah. pastry. So, people who, people who have an image about peop, uh, French people having croissant in the morning, no, it's not It's not every day, all right? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's just blown it out of the water for me, Manu. I'm, I'm upset. It's, it's a point in my life that I'd, I'll never move on from. <laughs> and so 6.30 in the morning, a coffee run, uh, you know, 
clean, clean the restaurant a little bit, mise en place from nine o'clock. And my mise en place, I was on a cold uh, entree and there was, there wasn't a hot entree anyway. It was choice of cold and main course and it was it. And the cold entree was a choice of maybe three or four entrees. So there was a tomato salad with a nice vinaigrette and some chives over the top or a slice of pate or slice of rillette or, um, uh, 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 salad piemontese or uh, salad uh, macedoine. So they were really traditional uh, home cooked recipes, but they were all set up on plates, and the plates would be stacked up on the fridge like like a jigsaw puzzle on top of it until everyone turns up, and then all the plates would get out of the fridge and be placed on the table, and people would swap what they want I don't want the tomato salad I want the terrine and they would swap and then the main course would be simple as sausages and 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 um, uh, steaks and and andouillette and you know something with a sauce on top some uh, dehydrated parsley for decoration on top of that so <laughs> what old school chopped parsley <laughs> that you wash and squeeze no no no, no, no. we no. used to buy dehydrated <laughs> parsley mate <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that it existed. So oh, there you yeah, go. man. We were oh, ahead wow. of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because you, you, what you've described there is like a modern sushi train. Like, you know, it's, uh, it's yeah. a worker's lunch, yeah. but with andouille or andouillette, which is like a, I mean, gee, a you can't get any more. A tripe sausage, you can't get any more French, French than that. that. Uh, the first time I remember eating andouille is when you cut into it. And, and, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like your guts come out oh, of your belly. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I remember from biology, they're called villi, you know, they're little. Uh, like f- furry things that yeah. collect all the nutrients in the <laughs> intestine. And I'm going, this is a biology <laughs> bon lesson. <appetit>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of biology lesson I would have loved. So how was you how did you how was your relationship with your dad then? Oh, so he, you hadn't he, seen much of him and now you're working he, every he, hour of the day. He looked up to me. Like he was so proud and I was introduced to everyone and like I was his you know proud son and da da da. Which was funny because he was non existent for most of my life. And suddenly I, I was his God. <laughs> so but I that, I had an amazing year that year. I really, really enjoyed it. I was getting paid nothing. Um and so it was a pre apprenticeship which was only given to um Stupid people like I was going to say family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was one week at school, like normal school, and three weeks at work. That's how it works. So, um, you know, so I was still doing a bit of math, a bit of English, a bit of French, a bit of this and that, but three weeks uh, at work. Um, and yeah, I just, just loved it. And then set you on your path is basically, yeah. And then after that, you know, I just, be, I just wanted to, uh, to go on to a real, a real apprenticeship. Um, and wanted to go back to Nantes because Nantes was a, a better, a, a bigger city, I suppose, but also um, the food scene was a lot better anyway. So I went back to live with Mum for a year and started an apprenticeship. Who was the, probably the hardest thing I've done in my life? But the apprenticeship of cooking was also the apprenticeship of life. And I had this 55-year-old Basque chef and uh, i don't know if you know but the basque uh people have got uh, the different language that's right and uh, a really strong accent it's like guttural, isn't like, it? yeah and like it's like an italian would speak to to a friend going oh, sorry, mate, i just don't understand what you say can you speak french like, you know? um so that that and i i used to find it difficult to understand him but he was such a f- um an old-fashioned man, like really old-fashioned. And if you forgot 
forgot in the morning to say good morning, chef. He would not talk to you for the rest of the bloody day. And he would give you so much shit. Like, all day long, he would just poke you and pin and, and Oh, he was a horrible man. So, he, w- there was only three people in the kitchen. Me, himself, and a, and a kitchen hand. Kitchen hand was um, mid-30s, nearly 40s, um, smoking cigarettes in the sink while he was peeling potatoes and carrot and polishing uh, copper pots. Like, it, we, everything was copper pot. Like, old-fashioned. The chef was just an angry man who was getting paid very little wage, who was working really, really hard, six, six days a week. And he was angry. He was angry with life. So full stop. You couldn't stop that. But he used to arrive in the morning, at 7.30 in the morning, with three empty bottles of wine. And then he would switch on the kitchen, the stove, da 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 da. Then piss off again. Oh, excuse me. Go. <laughs> don't get that. Huh? No, um, no, we don't cut and, anything and, out. <laughs> and, and then and then go to the, the not not the servo, petrol, but the servo wine, where there was guns that you could fill out the red wine bottle with. By lunchtime, those three bottles of red wine would be finished. It would be pissed. For the, all through the lunchtime. Then at the afternoon break, he would go and get two long necks of beers and the night was horrible. And that's for two years. Every day. And, and the first year, he was on my kitchen. We were like doing everything by hand. There was no machine in our kitchen. Puff pastry, three kilo puff pastry every morning that I used to do. And I, I, you know, old fashioned salads and, and so on. But everything was done by hand. It was Escoffier style, uh, uh, apprenticeship you know so the first year it just gave me so much so much um i used to go home i used a fungal infection in my feet like i used to bleed i used to go home and cry i started to put my shoes outside to get rid of the smell put the same shoes on we used to have one apron a week and i used to do the fish every morning getting salmon and so on and this apron would stand up at the end of the week you were so full fully of, starched no, with st- yeah. gunk <laughs> I, I was it, 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 I, I, like crazy, and the where I used to do the fish, I love uh, studying. I can't. Are we going to be here for hours? Because it's fine. I'm, so I, I'm letting you go because I'm I'm there. I'm loving o- it. Old fashioned kitchen on top, and in the bottom you've got one of those uh, um, like spiral, spiral staircase, staircase, narrow and, and Na- very safe. Yeah, <laughs> and downstairs was the the cellar with all the bottles of wine, and there was a big butcher's table downstairs. That's where we used to do the fish with a plastic bag, and I used to scale the fish in there. And I, I, I'm like 16 years old, and I'm just about to throw up. You know, I've never cleaned fish in my life, guts and blood and smelly and so on. But we used to get beautiful fish from from the fresh market. It was amazing. But then. Yeah, it's just he was he was a hard bastard. The first day of my second year of apprenticeship, he pulled me aside and said, "I just wanted to see if you want really wanted to be a chef. Now I'm going to teach you." <laughs> oh my! And then goodness. we went through every single page of the Escoffier for for the second year. He told me everything I, 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 he could. Teach so you me. passed the. The test. Yeah. And then he decided he was going to invest yeah. a bit of time in. Because I, I'd imagine being such a hard man that he would have seen a lot of young apprentices come and go and, and don't give us stuff. That's right. But man, he right. stuck it out. Yeah. So it's a badge of honour now. You look back on that. With yeah. A, even though it was hard. Yeah. And it, funny enough, I've never been that guy since I'm a professional myself. I've never been like this. Because it taught you not to be. Yeah, it, it n- taught me not to be. But you know, it taught me, and I do the same with my kid as well. 
You can yell at people, but you tell them why you you yell at them. You can't just yell and just turn around. You've got to explain why you're pissed off, you know what I mean? And he was doing it in a Basque, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so you have one of that, you'd have these awful moments, wouldn't you, where he'd scream at you and you had no idea what he, he said he, to you. He, <laughs> I'm just scared just to, ask, to the, Just run so, to the fridge and just get something. Excuse me, chef, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. I could t- I'm a, a, just on a subject. I could go on for hours. Come on, give us one more. One more. Uh, can you one more story? Come, well, uh, I mean, it's 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 old fashioned, but you know what? He used to get so angry with the boss. The boss was twenty eight something, and he just had the, the, the suit, and he used to he knew nothing, but he was telling us everything, you know. And he used to, my boss, uh, my chef, used to get the uh, oil bottle and put oil in his hand. And rub his hands together. And when the boss came with his beautiful suit, he would go like this. So he would shake his hand. So all the oil spot would go on his suit without him knowing. Just to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I can't ask any more I'm actually going to remember that one myself. Because no, I'm sure there's a moment clever, where we can deploy it? that. I love it. I've got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Oh, that's very funny. <laughs> that set you on your path. Yeah. You did you move? Did you go to Paris? Did you move around? Did you travel around? No, did you come I, I to was, Australia? When did all that uh, kind of happen? I finished my apprenticeship just before my eighteenth birthday, and my cousin was also a chef who was working in London at the time at the Cafe Royal. Uh, gave me a call and said, "Listen, I, I've been here a year. I'm, I'm just about to to leave the job." I've just put your name forward. Are you do you want the job there? I'm like, yeah, well, I don't, yeah, why not? Yeah, that that'd be great, you know. And uh, yeah, I, that, I thought nothing of that, you know. I said, Mom, I'm I'm leaving. So, um, Mom was you know scared, you know, she the baby's leaving home, <laughs> and uh, I packed all my bedroom in four bags, like I I, I was leaving forever, kind of thing, um, and Mom bought me a suit. Uh, because I was, you know, going to... Because you need a suit when you go to the Cafe Royale. Well, you need a suit. In the kitchen. <laughs> no, but you... Not like in in Australia when you go to... Uh, uh, um, you go and look for a job and you've got flip-flops and, and board shorts. <laughs> when you meet a new boss, you've got... You've got to look the part. You need to look the part. The suit was mustard colour. Nice. <laughs> Goes with cooking, I suppose. <laughs> Kina's master does the same. Uh, what year was this? Can I put it into uh, context? 90, 91. 91. We're on the verge of losing mustard suits around there, I'm sure, but it would have been a good price. Remember <laughs> oh, that. Oh, it was cheap, I tell you that. <laughs> it, it must have been because mum didn't have money anyway. So, um, so I j- jumped on a plane. But, like, I was excited until I landed in London. In Israel, I'm like, oh, I don't speak English. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, So the only sign that I really remembered understanding (laughs) at the airport was luggage. (laughs) (laughs) Just so everybody knows, there's a couple of people in here. Natalie's laughing on the couch. Dave's laughing at the... (laughs) <laughs> no, but people think you know, I just arrived in Australia and I become a celebrity, and nothing happened before that. You know, <laughs> a lot happened before that. 
<laughs> Did you look up the word luggage before? No, no, I, 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 it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a word I remember from from school. <laughs> Probably the only one. Um, and I just picked up my luggage. I had three hundred pounds in my pocket, by the way, which I thought was a fortune at the time. Mm. When I realized that when I got in a black cab and went to, uh, I, I told him to go to um, Regent Street in in. So we're in, in uh, Piccadilly. Piccadilly Circus. <clears throat> I got Heading in, to the Cafe Royal. So I had a piece of paper with the address on it because <laughs> I couldn't speak English. And the cab driver said, no problem. And I saw the meter going... It would have been like 20 pounds. 50 pounds later. So on the first day with my 300 pounds, I only got 250 left. So like, <laughs> I've got five days to leave. <laughs> you know I mean? And I got dumped there um, the front of the... Which is an amazing nine-floor old-fashioned English building, like what, what a you know, like all history type of building, mm. like beautiful, uh, with a revolving door. I pushed the door with my um, mustard suits and my four luggage to hang on my neck and shoulders, <laughs> and, and so. On. And this little penguin waiter just turned around to me and said, "Can I help you?" And I'm like. Uh, um, uh, Chef Mercier, please. You know that. That's what I could. And we went to the back of of this huge building, mm. uh, which was a complete maze. And then I went on a maybe seventh floor or something and met the head chef, Chef Mercier, and he was a French guy, which was fantastic. He was, uh, you know, line looking with a big ginger beer and like. Quite muscly and big and like a proper chef chef kind of thing. And it was one o'clock in the afternoon. He said, Mike, peace off. It's one o'clock doing service. Come back in two hours. Uh, so I left my bags there and then and went back in the street. And I remember like a little boy looking in Piccadilly Circus, you know, that Coca-Cola sign and looking around and I was going, I thought I was on another planet. I've never traveled in my life. I've, I, I couldn't even speak the language, so I thought I was on Mars, you know. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was it was tough. It was really really tough. So, how many years did you spend in London? Uh, eight years. Eight years. So I, um, the restaurant was offering some some kind of bed sits to stay in, which was in Soho, uh, on Fritz Street, on top of Ronnie Scott. Ronnie Scott is a very famous jazz um, bar, which has been there forever. And so until three o'clock, I could hear, <laughs> and it was like it was like uh, it was full on cockroaches everywhere, shower to be shared with everyone who was living in that yeah, building, not, and it's like horrible. Yeah, horrible. It's time. actually now I think I, it's that long ago. I was in London, kind of around the same time, a little bit earlier than you, so mid eighties through to you know early 90, 91. and um, I, I think. Even now when I tell the stories, I tell the stories in a similar way. You know, they're kind of humorous and funny, but it's a really tough life. For chefs, you know, now when the press ask you, you know, is it a sexy industry, is it, is it mm. this, is it that, you just go, oh, my goodness. Like when you translate your experience as a young chef but you know, and fast forward to now, but it's... That's, and on top of it, that's never going to happen ever again. Never again, The, no. the young chefs now are, are, are being treating so much better than, than them. And thank goodness. Yeah, but yeah. In some way, oh, I don't know. I just, mm, I love the... You know. I lo it's, it's made me who I am today. Yeah. And I'd probably be a, a little bit more of a... 
you know, a fragile person today if I didn't go through If you that. weren't beaten every day, yeah. day for two years yeah. in, a, in a small restaurant by yeah. a drunk chef. It, it's <laughs> but I, I remember sitting in the staff canteen, which wasn't a staff canteen, it was like a bench at the Connell, you know, which was another hotel in London. And uh, I remember all the older chef to parties who were all about 26, 28, you know, like they weren't sure yeah. uh, in, in today's, on today's standards or in today's standards, and saying that, you know, all the young chefs now were useless, you know, that, you know, Imagine what this interest, and that was me thirty-five years ago. I'm sitting there, you know, eating my yeah. But you took rubbish about, lunch, and you they, took were, about they were referring to me as yeah. not. You know, the industry has changed; it's not the same. But you're anymore. talking about chef de parties being twenty-five, twenty-six. Oh, unheard now, of now. Now twenty-five, twenty-six. You're a, an yeah, executive chef. chef. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? I was I was running my kitchen by twenty, the age of twenty-two. You know, and it was it, it was full on at the time. You know, yeah. twenty-two, like. You just very, left home. very. Yeah. Young. When did you come to Australia? I was twenty six. Why did you come to Australia? Um, I was just. I, I've always um, wanted to travel the world after after being in London and having moved from France to London and give me the uh, the bug of traveling, I suppose. And I just wanted to see the rest of the world. Uh, especially London, you know, you, London, you see all different types of cuisine. In France, where I come from, there was like French food and that was it. <laughs> you know, uh, in London, you, you've got, you've got Japanese, you've got Chinese, you've got just, uh, you know, uh, even the, the kebab at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got, which oh, is a unique experience. Oh, all on its own. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> you know, when you've had a good night I, out, when you wake up and there's kebab on your chest, <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's happened to me a few times. <laughs> um, you know, I, I remember because we were earning so, so little money. I was earning 124 pound a week and 60 pound was my bed seat. Yeah. You know, so it was m more than half my wage on, on, on the bed. Um, we used to go to um, Deep Pan Pizza. And they had those buffets you could eat as many pizzas as you could for for ten dollars or ten pound. Oh my god, I used to stuff myself there. <laughs> Food for a week. Food for a week, mate. <laughs> I a, used to love the one with pineapple bag, on it. Ah, <laughs> you see, there you go. So Australia just was it because oh, yeah. it's in, so the, is it because it's in the French psyche? No, Australia, I, or is I, it because I worked with a lot of Aussies and and uh, South Africans and Kiwis uh, in my time in London, and I, I made a really good friend Javier um, when I was at, uh, at Livebait. Who Spanish born but lived here all his life, and he just said, "Like you, you should go to Australia. You would love it there." And it was in my mind. It was like, and and then he left. He left the restaurant, and uh, I missed his friendship. We were we become very very good mate, and um, I got lost in, in in still working hard and you know girlfriend here, girlfriend there. So you kind of few few um, year passed, I suppose, and suddenly so when you know I just had enough here. You know, working on the Grand Kitchen which means that you don't see the daylight in the morning and you don't see the daylight when you go back home. And then in winter, it's so cold, so windy. Right. And, and, and the, unfortunately, people become a bit like the weather, you know, a bit looking down on the, on, on the pavement when they walk to work. And I just, I just wanted a better life. I just wanted to discover the world and I wanted the sunshine and the blue sky and, and I wanted to be as far as I could. <laughs> and I look at the map and say, Australia, it is. <laughs> you remember, where did, did you arrive in Sydney? No, I arrived in Melbourne. I'm oh, sorry, so Melbourneian, <laughs> but I was a little disappointed. And the reason why... So you why, turned up in another London, didn't you, in the middle of winter? That, that's that's what right, happened. exactly. Because I think uh, it depends what time of the year 18, you arrived. 18th of August. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, you, so you arrived in another winter. Over the winter, and uh, I got to the airport. So what happened is I decided to come to Australia, and I went to see an immigration a lawyer who said to me, this is £500 to do the application, £500 for my fee, and £500 for all the uh, physical and, um, checks, yeah, medical, medical and, yeah. checks. And basically, uh, eight months later, I got a call, and she said, bring your passport, I've got the visa for you. And I booked my plane straight away. A month later, I was gone. Um, and I had a friend who lived in, in Melbourne. I had been told that Melbourne was the capital of food in Australia. <laughs> so I was brilliant. You know, that's where I'm going to start. And I arrived at the airport here in Melbourne. And the immigration um, guy at the front said, um, oh, you've got a permanent, permanent, permanent resident uh, visa. I said, yes. So have you been here before? I said, no. So where are you staying? I said, I don't know. Where are you going to work? Got no idea. I'm like, he was so pissed off with me that all those legal paper to enter his country, but I've never been here before. He just emptied all my bags, socks and underpants and questioned everything. I was there for two hours before I could leave. And then my mate was waiting for me and then said, oh, what took you so long? Blah, blah. Anyway, I got in the car and I looked around Melbourne. I went, is that it? Is that it? I was a little disappointed, to be honest with you. So I um, I saw an ad for um, Mr. Michael Bakash at Toofies, North Carlton. And being told that he was the seafood king of Melbourne at the time. <sighs> Another angry chef. <laughs> he was tough. You notice uh, I'm just quiet on the other yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he, he didn't have a, a huge... Uh, array of cooking knowledge but what he knew he knew it He's well passionate he and he taught me things in seafood that i thought i knew everything about um and it was tough it was tough six months but i i just you know he basically uh where he was looking for someone to run his kitchen because he had just um uh went through cancer and he wanted to pull back a little bit but he, he never wanted to give his kitchen to anyone he is it was his kitchen it was his baby and he couldn't trust anyone he, even me or anyone else it's just it was uh, we were never going to be good enough for him so i got bored with him uh and then i went to visit my my friend that made me come here in in uh, sydney i packed up my bag went on a 50 dollar bus 12 hours journey uh, arrived in in Central Station here and walk all the way down George Street to arrive to the Opera House, the bridge, on a blue sky sunny day. And I went, hello, hello, Australia. You know what I mean? that's And I went back on that $50 bus, 12 hours, packed up everything and came back here on a 50 <laughs> dollar bus again for yeah. the third time in the space of three days and that was it I, I started at Hugo's in Bondi and um, I've never looked back This is A Play To Call Home I'm Gary Megan and more from Manu after the break Do you get romantic about the idea of moving back to France? I mean, you go back quite regularly, don't nah, you? I, I, um, I love France for its food, and, and I love France for the beauty of the country. Uh, but unfortunately, France is, it hasn't got the mentality that I'm looking for. 
uh, Australia is giving me this. I mean, the people in Australia are just are just they're f- fabulous. They, you know, I uh, they, there's that sentence, no worries, is mine. That's what Australia is for me. You know, we're so far away. When there's a tsunami happening on the other side of the of the world, we get a small wave here where surfers are surfing on. You know, I mean, it's just it's everything is so complicated. But Australia is still like people are whinging about politics here. My God, politics is so funny here. Man, they've got nothing to worry about. Man, everywhere else is so much harder. I was, I was, and I felt, I felt the same from day one. I felt at home here. And I think it's a healthy sense of um, optimism always. But like people, the, pe- you know, I asked my parents. Mateship, yeah. yeah. Everybody becomes a friend. You know, you, in Paris, you might be having a coffee in a bar and you look at someone and the guy goes, what are you looking at? Mm. You know? And he say, hey, mate, how are you going? You know, it's that's the difference yeah. between the two worlds. Because over there, it's so busy in, in, in the complicated life. That when you come here, it's just, it seems like to be a holiday. But I've always related it to the fact that, and France would be the Europe is the same. That there's been a lot of hardship, and, yeah. and firsthand at the coalface. That's right. Where, as you described earlier, you know, Australia, even though we've been involved in, you know, most of the conflicts around the world, that there's a distance between the population and those conflicts. You know, even in World War One and even in World yeah. War Two, whereas France was in the middle of it. Britain was in the middle of it, you know, the depressions and all the rest of it. And so I always think that the pessimism is born out of that That's hardship. Right. Whereas That's right. here, but there's that optimism because it's been not the opposite, but there's always an opportunity that it, it, it's going to get better. Mm. And I find when I ring my parents, they're always like, okay, hey, how are you expecting? Yeah, great. Yeah, good. Yeah. You know? And they go, yeah, uh, good, but. Yeah, There's yeah, always a button yeah. and that always sinks my heart a little yeah. bit, you know. So that's why it's it's interesting that we feel the same way about it. I've got random questions only because they're, you know, I've known you for a long time. Yeah, I think we've yeah. known each other for a long time. And um, and the reason I wanted to set it all up at the beginning uh, with food and your background is because you said, as you said, people don't realise, they see you now as Manu from MKR and yeah. they think you're just like a TV chef and you hate it, don't you? You hate, not hate... MK, I mean, you hate the idea of not being connected to what you do and being a chef and yeah. being hands-on and part of the community. Yeah. It, it gets your goat a little bit, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it actually really, really <laughs> pisses me off. Like right into the centre of my body. Like, frankly, um, you know, I had to make a choice even bigger choice about four years ago, three and a half years ago, where I needed to get away from the cooking industry completely because my TV was so demanding that I was then incapable of of managing the both in my life because of the family that I had to look after and, and the restaurants and, uh, you know, the, my kitchen was take six months of my year as well. And it just became impossible. And I had to make that choice. And the choice I made was purely was what's the easier, as easier path that I can take that would not easier for me, but easier to manage uh, with everyone. And TV was, that was that path where I could just follow that and, and concentrate myself on that and that only for a bit. And cooking, I was always, I can always go back to cooking, but because of doing that, you're right that I, I, I kind of, uh, kind of disappeared in, in, in that world of where I actually come from, really, the cooking world. 
to the point that I don't get invited to anything anymore. And that really drives me. And I, I see on Facebook and, and Instagram of all those chefs that are always doing things and always invited to that. And I, I'm not, because I'm not considered to be a chef anymore. And that really, really gets me angry. Well, why do you think it gets you angry? What is it that... Because I'm proud to be a chef. And, and, I, and I only got the gig on TV because I was a chef in the first place. You know, and now I'm not a chef on TV. I'm just a TV host. I don't even get asked to be involved in, in creating this challenge, this food challenges, because they don't care about what I say. Because I'm just a guy with a good French accent that makes people happy. And that's all they need from me. And I, I, that's not enough for me to be happy about. So I, I get a bit of conflict between the happiness of having this wonderful job that I've got today and that TV gig that I always dreamt of, that, that entertainment part of my life that I always want, that I've got now. Because that's what you were dreaming of when that's you were right. 13 or 15. That, that's right. That's right. And, it, and, and now I've got it. I'm like... You've done, you've done Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. You've hosted your own TV shows traveling around the world, yeah. eating food. Yeah. I and, mean, what, and, a ter- what a terrible uh, thing to be doing. <laughs> oh, I hate my life. <laughs> no, and, but it's, and, it's, and, you, and you still want to be uh, you know, doing wanna, the dirty stuff and, yeah. and chopping and cooking. That's, and, right. That's right. I mean, I, I did a gig in Tamworth last week and... And, you know, when you do gigs, you usually send recipes to, to the chefs that are there already and you ask them to do a little bit of prep. I got there, they had done nothing. And for two days, I was in the kitchen with my friend, Phil, chopping. This cooking thing is hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, the, the difference is, and I've been in the same situation, is that uh, you can pick up a knife when you choose to. Yeah, that's right. Whereas that's right. when you were working back at the Cafe Royal, you had to go in every day and, <laughs> that's right. and chop, 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 because yeah. that's chop, chop. Job. It is. That's what you do. It is. <sighs> that struggle. Actually, because you I- know what the struggle is, is um, I worked for Tony Bilson for six years and after two and a half years, we we got from a two hat to a three hats and kept those three hats for three years. And the reason why I got the TV gig is because I was that chef that, that was recognized as one, uh, running one of the best restaurants in, in the country. And I feel like that was another menu and another life that, that that's gone kind of thing. And people like like I got criticized uh, by by uh, food critics about my food not being good enough uh, last time I was opening a restaurant. Uh, and what does that mean? Like that was the type of food I wanted to create then. But because I, I was a fine dining chef first, you know. I kind of disappointed that guy because he wanted to see finding from me again. Well, it's my choice, really. But the problem is, is how many times do you need to climb Everest to uh, to get appreciated? Once is good. Even if you did twice, it doesn't matter. You've done it once. That's the way I look at my three hats. I've done Everest once, and I should be keeping that 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 medal for the rest of my life. That's the way I see it. Yeah. How, how do you how do you deal with that? So how are you gonna? How do you deal oh, with I'm, that? I'm a you... happy. I've got an happy. I've got a happy life. Okay, I'm, it's just I I like the recognition, but it's not gonna stop me in my ways. You know, I've got a beautiful family. I've got a a great work ethic. I've got great people I work with, and and I I just get on with my life. I've got projects everywhere, and 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 keep on dreaming about new things and so. so 
you know, it's easy enough to get on with my life. I just want, I just want to remember people. If, if I, if I remember that, you as a, if that as a chef, can, is that enough? But, <laughs> no, it is enough. It is enough. I because I think if you, you know, in the end, it's your your close circle of friends and acquaintances yeah. that that know that. And I also justify it a little to myself in knowing that every chef that you know is working hard. There's a little bit of whether or not they recognise it or not. There's a little opportunity. There's a little inspiration, whether mm. they recognise it or not, yeah. that you're doing what you've done yeah. and that you've created what uh, you've, you know, I've, you've I've, created. The people I've worked with in the kitchen, like especially in Australia, uh, um, when I used to run uh, L'Etoile, my French restaurant, there's three guys that are still very good friends of mine. They used to, my head chef, my sous chef, and my front of house. Those guys are French. And... I could ask them anything today and they would drop everything to come and help me out. Why? Because they, they saw me as that guy working as a head chef in a kitchen, chopping, chopping, chopping. Mm. And uh, they've got that respect and they don't give a sh damn what kind of man I've become today and if I'm on TV or not. When they come to my house for a glass of wine, they don't look at me as my kitchen rules menu. They look at me as the chef menu. And that's, that's what I, I suppose kind of keeps me alive. You're a magnet. You were at some point for the paparazzi. People loved just yeah. like digging in and finding out what Manu does. And I don't know if it's because I think Sydney's more kind of in tune with, you know, the, the yeah. glitz and the gossip. I but think he's... You, you went to, because explaining that little period where you had to choose, I suppose, you know, you said, you know, what may be easier to manage. Yeah. Would that have been around the time because your life changed, you know, you were dealing with... I think uh, the, the, the biggest change is, is not necessarily uh, my kitchen rules, it's when I did Dancing with the Stars. That was another level of what the heck, what what can he not do kind of thing. Mm. That's what people... But you were, won that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, we uh, even... And I'm very proud of that too. I know, but we even went, what the hell? <laughs> when I you put know? my name to something, I just go for it. You know that. But... Um, but knowing you, and people don't knowing you know you listening to this, but even before going on Dancing with the Stars, we all went, well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because you got a bit of rhythm. Like at a party, people need to know that you're the guy that takes the key from the owner and locks up, right? <laughs> I, I'm Not the, anymore, but... No, just, <laughs> things uh, Thank God you've slowed down. Okay, thank you. Because, you know, I, I joke, you know, when Mandy, my wife, and I talk about you, you know, I'm, I'm off at 11.30, and you're like, yes! Come on, know, Grandpa! Yeah, come on, Grandpa, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, give me the keys, I will lock up! <laughs> you know, and I'm like, get out of there, because I'm not going to make it out alive. And, you know, you, you're... Uh, the the center of the party, right? So oh, yeah. being being on Dancing with the Stars wasn't that that was the unusual for us. That was from take, taking me to a one level to a ten step up. Like I don't know, it really changed everything big time fast. So people say, "Oh my God, you know, he's a chef, tick. He's got a beautiful French accent, tick. He can cook, tick. Oh my God, he can dance, tick, 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 tick." You know, what I mean, it was really strange, and that's where the pups went crazy and they, I, they were hiding in the bushes oh, right and taking pictures of crazy of jonty yeah and, yeah yeah and jonty jonty could see that you know like the, you could see uh, could see them everywhere but one day i stopped and i said what the heck do you want and one pap said to me he said you're that guy who came from nowhere who became a success in 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 one day who's done nothing wrong we're gonna catch you that was the, the aim, to catch me to do something wrong because I was 
just too nice, too good for them, and you had you had to go down. But they should have come and seen us, and then we, <laughs> said, we would have said, "Look, he's done lots of stuff." <laughs> let, <laughs> me, let, me, let me get let me refer booger. to man nuts. You know, do you know what I mean? You've done lots of, and I remember when you've got, and of course we're in Melbourne, we're slightly detached from it. I think even in the gossip news, we get it like days later, and uh, you know, someone said to me, "Oh, did you see uh, man who got caught driving on his learners, for yeah, example?" Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, "Are you idiot?" Yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. in in my mind, I go, "Well, it's you know." People do this shit. Yeah. But, but when you're in the it's public, yeah, because right. it's you, now yeah. it's a massive problem. And, and it you, doesn't make it wrong. Can I tell you the story of that? Yeah. For tell a us second. the story. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I like talking. I, um, <laughs> so I'm at home and I need to do a little bit of DIY thing. I'm missing a tool. All right. I'm like, oh, so, you know, it's only like maybe 15 minutes walk, but I'm going to take the car, you know. So I took the L plate of my car and then drove and went to the hardware shop, parked in front of it, got in, bought my tool, got out, and there's an L plate on my car. And I'm scratching my head. I said, I just took that off 10 minutes ago. So I got to pull the L off my plate and I heard behind me going, so a paparazzi had followed me from home to the hardware shop then while I was in a hardware shop, put an L plate on the He man. went and bought L plates? Yeah. And then, then got me red-handed. To get the And there the was shot. A, journal, a journalist there as well. So he had called a journalist as well. That's, That's pretty cool to set up. Yep. But you were bad. You and shouldn't have done go, it. You shouldn't have got in the car. Yeah. But you did. And, That's and the next morning I was flying to Melbourne uh, to do something with Channel 7. And I went to the airport at 7 o'clock in the morning in the lounge, and there's a pile of newspaper and my face on every <laughs> front page of it. I'm like, <laughs> like it was, it was horrible. And I got a call saying, you've got to go straight to Seven Studio. You go on the morning show and you're going to apologize to everyone. How does that feel? I mean, like, you, <laughs> like when <shit>. you see, <laughs> when you see that, how does that, how does that affect you? I how was, does that- I was, I was felt stupid once. But also I was angry the fact that I got set up. Not because I did the, f- the wrong thing in the first place anyway. Regardless, I was wrong to do so. But the fact that I got set up was like, really? That's what you need to put in a newspaper today? Like there's people dying everywhere else in the world, but I'm making first front page for an L plate? <laughs> but now, Come on. But now, that's a few years ago now. So yeah. Now, yeah, now you've come ter- to terms with the fact I've got that full license. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! Thank you. And another Thank thing, you. well, it does make me laugh because I suppose you know, and, and I don't think most people realise this because I I was explaining to Dave, he's our producer, and he didn't know either. But you know, obviously, the chef community, we all know each other. It's quite a small community, even around Australia. And so the whole MKR thing, the Master Chef thing, we always used to think it was quite funny. Yeah. And I remember at the beginning that we were uh, doing the Good Food and Wine show and we'd go, oh, yeah, Master Chef is shit. And yeah, then you yeah. go, yeah, Manu's not really French. And, like, yeah. we thought it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we were, it was like an, what we thought was a very funny joke. And then the press... Be- because we, because the, the press was already doing it and yeah. we thought, let's, let's yeah. make it... But we didn't realise that what we did was we lit the we bonfire. We actually lit... Exactly. <laughs> we did. Because then, then yeah. the press just 
Yeah. But you know what I love is when occasionally somebody comes up and says, Manu's not actually French, is he? And I go, yes. <laughs> that little joke that I, we played, <laughs> you know, like it's 10 taxi, years ago. Taxi driver he's a taxi from driver in Dubbo. Oh, no, because I heard he's from up country somewhere. And you go, somebody's told somebody who's told somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. they've remembered vaguely that you're not French and that you're from up country. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Wagga or Dubbo <laughs> or something like that. And then even better, you put it on as a skit, didn't you? You did a little, yeah, kind of, did. Uh, that, little yeah. skit with you. That was for the Good Friend One Show because someone on... Uh, my kitchen rules. The contestant said, "Are you really French?" And I burst out laughing. And then, and then Natalie and I, we always look to do a little video before we get on on stage to do the cooking demonstration. And Natalie had this great idea to say, "Why don't we do a little sketch where you actually an Australian during the day and and French at the restaurant during the night?" And we did it. And it, it, it's still on, on on today. It's it's I watch it every now and then. And it's I funny. love it. And actually, when, now when you put it in context, it's kind of almost appropriate. Yeah, isn't exactly. Because you, you are right. You, you're both and you're allowed to be. Um, what and who inspires you now? Um, I just, ugh, my son, I suppose. I just really want, I, I want to give him a good start in life. And so everything I do today, I mean, I've got two kids, I know, but Jonty is the closest to being an adult. And How old is Jonty now? Is he 15, he's 13. 13. 13. Uh, and, I, <coughs> I, you know, I struggled with him a little bit because he's a teen and, and he's very forgetful and, and he honors the shit out of me, but I love him so much as well. And so I, I, everything I do, I, I do it for him. Like he's, he's the one I really kind of put my energy in at the moment. When was the hardest time in your life? The hardest? Yeah. Um, I've, ooh, I've had few. <laughs> um, the hardest, ooh, yeah, I had few, but I think the hardest is when I lost uh, the Grand Cirque. Uh, yeah. So this was a restaurant in, the restaurant in, in Melbourne, Melbourne in that you Melbourne. went into partnership with George? Yeah, yeah. So we, we took six months to build and spent a bit of money to, to, to make it happen, but we were only open for four months. And that, whew, that was like, uh, and that talking about the Cirque and, and my restaurant life, I was, I was trying to bring those two together. And that's why it pinched hard when we had to close. What was going through your mind at that time? Um, failure. Yeah. Tough, isn't it? Yeah. Bringing tears to my eyes. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> and why is that hard? <clears throat> I don't know. I thought um, it comes back with um, forgetting that I am a chef. People forget that I was a chef, and I wanted to prove that I was a chef, and I didn't prove them that I was a chef. I suppose. I have one of those tissues. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one that I used here. On. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> so, do you think about that still? Uh, I try you... not. I try not to. I, I I don't think I need to. But when someone like you reminds me, it's, <laughs> I, I do. Uh, yeah, it's it's still pinch. Yeah, it's it's still giving me a big pinch in, in the heart. It's not the, the failure of a restaurant. I think it's just we. I mean, all of us have made failures in restaurants, and six. And we make we have more failures than successes in anybody's yeah. life. Anyway, it's just yeah. I don't know. This it's it's maybe deep inside. It's something really just. But there's lessons learned, isn't oh, there? I mean, I'm, you know. But that's that's the thing. But you know, so I went through a bit of depression because Clarissa, my wife, was pregnant with Charlie. So you know, like. 
I, when Charlie was born, I wasn't there. I wasn't there for Charlie. I was an asshole, actually. I was the worst dad on the planet at the time because it was all about me and my failure and my ego and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And now I regret all that time. I really regret it. Now, now it's not even the failure of the restaurant. What I regret is not having, being a good dad for Charlie at the time because I was supposed to be. So th- all of that in, in, in the same bubble really makes me angry, yeah. But uh, since then, and Natalie's there, you know, we work together side by side on daily basis. And since I said to Natalie, uh, one day I woke up, I woke up to this stupid, you know, um, way of being. And I said, listen, from now on, what, what we decide to do, if it works, great. If it doesn't, let's move on. There's no more failures. They're just lessons. They're just exercise. And, uh, and the, you know, spending time with Charlie and Clarissa yeah, and giving it. time to Jonty. That's right. I'm back, on, I'm, back on, I'm back on my family time, yeah. You know what? It's been, I've loved this chat and I have not, I've only cried in one other uh, podcast. Yeah. And not, not, I don't mean sobbing, yeah. but you know, when it, something brings tears to your eyes when you connect with something, that's yeah. a, a really special thing. And I have known you for a long time mm. and um, the relations, the relationships between you and I has been a funny one. And I don't know if people realise this, but we, I was thinking about if you rewind the, the, the chef clock, I think probably Ready Steady Cook would have been... For both of us, maybe the start. Would that, that be it right? was indeed, yeah, yeah. Because then we did uh, Boys Weekend. That was we after. did Boys Weekend, yeah, and that was t- eleven years ago. Yeah, that's and look, right. look what's happened. So yeah, I you put know, on, I put on weight. <laughs> <laughs> Not as much as me, my friend. Not as much as me, Manu Fidel. Thank you so much indeed for you know showing Thanks us a going. little a little window in into your life. And maybe small, we'll have to yeah. do uh, Manu Part Two. Yeah, I think I've got a lot more to, to talk about. Just because I think it's just an interesting life. Natalie decided to maybe one day write a, a, a bio for me, so uh, I think it would be a, a thick book to read. I think it'd be a good book too. French food, where do I start? It's one of my great loves. It was how I was trained, and I could talk for hours about the nuances of all those beautiful techniques and that delicious food. But I think vinaigrettes, for example, are quintessentially French. So here's a nice little quick recipe. One tablespoon of Dijon mustard, generous twist of pepper, generous twist of salt, a little bit of red wine vinegar or champagne vinegar. Whisk that together so it's emulsified, which means it's smooth and a little bubbly. Add a couple of tablespoons full of a good nut oil, like a walnut oil or a hazelnut oil, and then top it up with a good olive oil, as much as you feel comfortable with. Whisk it together. It can be a little bit split. In fact, you can put it all in a jar and give it a shake. Use what you need, put the rest in the fridge, Bon Appetit. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Zwolenski. Audio production is Darcy Thompson and special thanks to Imogen Thomas for all the research. (laughs) 